This movie is the Do You Believe in Life After Love of movies. You're still listening. This is our final transmission. We're here, Jamie. We are here, Sam. How the f- fuck? Fucking hell. How the fuck are you? <laughs> Fucking great, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. We just did a live, like a little live thing on, on, on Instagram, and I am it's completely thrown me off my game. It completely <laughs> bedazzled you. You're starstruck. You're, you feel famous now. Yeah. It's gone to your head. I saw that guy on that Instagram. Viral success, Jamie Carruthers. Officially down with the kids now, doing things on Instagram. Here we are. So if you're not following us, follow us on Instagram. Why not? Follow both of us. Not just FT Horror Show. Follow at Sam Russo Music and at Carruthers with a Z. Correct. And no E. And no E. Carruthers. Carruthers. Yeah. Also follow uh, FT Horror Show on TikTok and Twitter. Refuse to call it X. And while you're there, while you've got your phone in your hand, why not? Open up whatever you're listening to this on. Pop a little review in the box. So far, so good. <laughs> yeah. Say they swore at me instantly, and I was hard and good to go from there. Fuck yeah, your dick was racing. Now go fuck yourself. Welcome to Final Transmission. Today we're talking about 2008's Martyrs. How do you feel? I mean, I am at this point thoroughly desensitized to martyrs i've seen it so many times trousers, trousers. nobody's I ever said that jamie love it how have you seen it more than like how many times have you seen this fucking film i think we're getting into double figures <laughs> Piss off, mate why would you do that to yourself because sam i love it I think it's amazing. We watched it, me and Kaz watched it last year on New Year's Eve. Mm. She was like, what should we do for New Year's Eve? And I was like, let's watch this film called Martyrs. And she cried the new year in. It was a great time. Fucking wowie wowzers. Well, listen, we're in a spoiler-free three. (laughs) I've got Demons 3-3 stuck in my head. (laughs) We're on a spoiler-free section of the podcast. So we're not going to tell you about all the things that happen at the end. We're just going to tell you... I don't know what we're going to tell them, Jamie. What are you going to tell them? Well, Pascal, like, okay, so we're, we're doing spoiler-free until we're not. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, like, I really, really urge you to watch it. It's not a fun thing, but it's so fucking worthwhile. It, the direction is amazing. I think this is one of my favourite directed movies mm. ever. I think The Tall Man, which Pascal Lockier. Logier, Logier. I don't know how how I'm pronouncing this. Let's French. never pick a pronunciation. We'll do it different every time. Okay. Well, I think that Pascal Logier's direction in The Tall Man, which was fairly universally derided, and I love it, obviously, because I'm a little fucking, what's the word? Book of Shadows, boy. Yeah. I'm just, I love to go, go against the grain. But I think it's really fucking good. And that's really beautifully directed. This is really beautifully directed. He's just, he's a man with ideas and a whole horrible streak of nihilism. It's a really nasty little nihilistic movie that is at the same time incredibly beautiful. It's sheer pummeling agony, people. Jamie's urging you to watch a movie that is a non-stop 
torture. So just bear that in mind. Just bear that in mind that your old buddy Russo warned you. And, and old Uncle Monterey Jack over here was luring you into the cave with the cheese. So fair warning, <laughs> my friends. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not fun. It's not a horror comedy with, with Bruce Campbell and little goblins and japes. Like it's, it's a, it's a tough, tough old time, mm. but it's really, really worth his time. So you think the cheese is worth the sniff? Yeah, I think the cheese is worth the trap. Oof, crikey. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm as yet unsure if it, if it meets that level of payoff, but... What I will tell our listeners is that you kind of have to watch it if you're going to listen to this. So yeah. go do that. I, I think we've talked about before, like how sometimes in like foreign films, it's hard to gauge performances. I think we did it. We talked about it a bit in Baskin. It's like it's hard to gauge how good a performance is in a film that isn't in English. You can sort of paper over a lot of like bad acting cracks. But I think the performances in this are amazing, apart from maybe the Mademoiselle. I think mm. I think it tosses you around like a fucking baby seal in a orca's mouth. It's, it's like being in a horrible car crash from start to finish. Like you know those slow motion car crashes you have dreams about where it never fucking ends and the glass is always exploding in on you. Everything's the metal is crumpling around you constantly and then you end up a tiny little destroyed bloody cube in the middle of the road. It's it's that, isn't it? I mean, I don't dream in Thursday songs, so that's I don't I don't quite relate to that. Love but I know I what immediately you immediately got the reference. <laughs> mm, emotional rock, yeah. So I mean, yeah, I, it's it's really hard to fault a lot of the performances in. Well, it's hard to fault any of the performances in, in this. I mean, uh, but I kind of felt the same about the core cast of Baskin. So maybe where you are skeptical of those performances, I am just so ignorant. I'm wholly won over by them. <laughs> Well, like I say, you can you can paper over a lot of cracks by not speaking the language. I think there are some people whose bad acting just sings through regardless of whatever fucking foreign they're speaking. Right. But like, yeah, I think in this you you even you can tell that they're good performances, even though they are speaking French, Sam. Are they speaking French, Jamie? I'm yeah. not sure I understand really, because are you saying the dialogue being spoken in another language somehow conceals what, like, poor inflection or, like, what kind of dialogue acting are we talking about? Yeah, well, I think it's sometimes it's easier to to not see. That's, this is a nonsense sentence. Let me start again. <laughs> sometimes you just can't, you can't see that things are bad because people are speaking in a foreign language. Okay. I think... The nuance of their accent being completely different to a normal person's voice. Normal person's voice. <laughs> now. So you're saying they're French, Sam. They're French. Yeah. So you're saying are they the only country that we're really allowed to be horrible about? Are they French Canadian in this? No. Oh. They're French Canadian in The Tall Man, which is Pascal Logier's next film. I thought this was shot in Canada for some reason. I don't think so. It was. It was shot in Quebec. Well. I'll fuck my ass. That's getting edited out. <laughs> Do you just go through and edit out everything where you're wrong and where I look like a dick is like prime central position. 
God, this is this is where you say, obviously, Sam, this was shot in Quebec. <laughs> but the actresses and actors, of which there are several. So you think the acting's good, but the danger of watching movies that are spoken in another language is that you see the dialogue on screen and therefore what you add your own kind of gravitas to that sort of pH neutral. There's no question if the dialogue is bad, if it's written on screen, right? You can look at it and be like, well, that sucks. But you're, you're not sure how the line's delivered because you don't speak the language. Yeah, and I think sometimes if the dialogue that comes upon screen is bad, you're also like, hey, that was a bit of a weird translation there. That probably isn't right. So you think you give them the benefit of the doubt because of the... Uh... They get a million benefits of all of the doubts. Yeah, I think Interesting. so. I never, I never even remotely considered that before. Now I'm going to be hyper aware of every subtitled movie I watch. I'm wondering if it's complete garbage. What about uh, when it's an alien, like a Klingon, and it's subtitled? I mean, fuck alien languages. What? You can't, you can't say fuck Klingon. Come on. I can. Why? Those fucking wrinkle-headed folks like i have i have no interest no interest in klingon no no interest in klingon no interest in dothraki no interest in fucking middle earthian or whatever the fuck dothraki like a dick. fake made-up languages for for properties the fuck is english Nonsense. it's all a fake made-up language for a property <laughs> but like the idea of some guy sitting in a room being like Blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's Klingon for suck my balls. Like, Dude, you're talking just... about fucking the etymology of language. It's, it's a sophisticated process. I doubt they start with suck my balls in Klingon and build the universe from that center point outwards. Well, why not? What's, does that anything doesn't get else said make a lot in Klingon? I don't think. Yes, it does. Klingon <laughs> war chant is... A wharf chat. Suck my balls, suck my balls. I'm an alien, fictional as fuck, or whatever. Oh. Like, Wow, so you've got a real thing against all foreign movies and all foreign languages and all fictional foreign languages. I don't have a thing about against foreign movies or foreign languages. Mm. Just foreign I, people. <laughs> not even foreign people, French people, Sam, <laughs> which, which we're allowed to hate. Why? I don't know. It's just socially acceptable to hate the French, right? No, I love the French. And do you know what I love even more? The French Canadian. The good people of Quebecois. I have not met a French Canadian. Oh, okay. Well, you're missing out. They're Canadian, but they speak French. I feel like I've only met one Canadian in my life. Really? Yes. Who's that? Uh, Matthew Ford. I knew you were going to say Matthew Ford. Hi, Matthew, if you're listening. He does sometimes, just so you know. Well, Matthew. sorry that I insulted your grandma or whatever. Matthew Foreman. And if I didn't, it's coming. It's coming. Jamie's on a tear. So back to Martyrs. Listen, this yeah. came out in 2008. Why don't you tell us, uh, without spoilers, what the fuck is going on in this film? I mean, it's very difficult to even synopsisize without spoilers. And so I don't want to. Okay, skip it. I think, I think knowing... Too much of the wrong thing will ruin the, the the film for you. Okay. So if you haven't seen it, we're about to spoil. Yeah, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to spoil Martyrs. Dun, dun, dun. Whoa! 
Holy shit. I guess that's why they call it Phantom Power. Jamie. Sam Sam. Final Transmission is brought to you by Red Scare Industries. How do you feel about that? I feel like they are the best punk rock label in Chicago. Is that right? I completely agree. Did I say the right thing? Yeah, well, kind of. Yeah, I think uh, we have a real Wayne's World situation going on here. A word from our sponsor. We love Red Scare. We're big fans. We have a vested interest in the success of their enterprise. But we want to tell you for free that they are legit great. They are very good. They uh, release good records. Some of my all-time favorite records have come out on Red Scare, including Sam Russo Records. So buy them, buy other Red Scare records at redscare.net. All right, we're back. We are back. What an inane existence when we have to tell people, like babies, that we're about to talk about the end of the film. Well, I wouldn't care normally, Hmm. but I think... With a film that is as powerful and important to me, I think, as Martyrs. You're devaluing so many good endings that we've covered so far. You're going to tell people that that Cropsy ending isn't worth a spoiler alert. (laughs) And it just fucking stops. And Alligator just stops. I mean, it's implicit that I think, like, you can't talk about anything about Martyrs without ultimately spoiling something. All right, we'll see how long Because the, the movie flips flips around so much it's so the, the 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 spoilery synopsis is go on lucy escapes from some sort of abuse dungeon mm-hmm. as a eight-year-old girl or whatever mm-hmm. she goes to live in an orphanage or something where she meets anna they grow up it, and it, then <laughs> all of a sudden it cuts to a random family having family time breakfast joking being sassy until the doorbell rings and Lucy shoots them all in the fucking head. Then Lucy, being haunted by the woman that she didn't save from the abuse dungeon, mm-hmm. ultimately takes her own life. And then a bunch of fucking wackos show up in prison, Anna, and rip her skin off. Credits. There's some other stuff that happens. But you can't say any of that without it being a spoiler. Oh, so that was your spoiler-free version. No, you can't see any of any of it, what I just said without it being a spoiler. Oh, I see. But you can't see any anything to do with the plot, I don't think, without it being a big whopping ruination. Yeah, I get you. Because like, when when the film initially flips to the family, you have no idea how this family are going to marry up with the narrative of what we've already seen in the first ten minutes of this film. Yeah, and then after Lucy shows up and starts popping caps in people, hitting people with mallets until their brains are mush on the floor. Mm. After that happens, it's such a, a, a further like left turn that Lucy dies and Anna becomes ultimately the protagonist and the, the victim of this extended torture scene. Yeah. Torture second half of the movie. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the whole fucking thing is torture. So you've seen this double figures numbers of times. Is there anything that on rewatch this time around, specifically for the pod, uh, surprised you or reminded you of, uh, I don't know, made you want to talk about something in particular? I mean, I've got, like like I've mentioned, I really genuinely love this film. I think it's like one of the most interesting and profound horror films of the last 25 years. Mm. It's just really clever and really interesting. And the way that it 
plays. I mean, if you've listened to more than one episode, you're bored of the me fucking saying how it plays with horror tropes to say something different and interesting, but it fucking does. Mm-hmm. Like we're in a world where movies were sore and hostile and torture porn was rife and like August Underground was a thing and all of those horrible movies that some of them are good, whatever, but like horrible, violent, pointless little trips into violence for no reason. And presumably Pascal Logier was saying, okay, but what if I made this film, but there was a reason for it? What if it was like, what if it actually had something to say? And, uh, and he, and he did. And I mean, I don't know if I agree with what he had to say. Well, what do you think? What do you think he's saying here? What's, what do you think is the, the core message of the movie? He's been pretty cagey about it in interviews, mm. but he talks about how he was in a pretty depressed, nihilistic part of his life. I actually had quite an optimistic read on this time around. And I think that ultimately the message is like not getting over your shit will ruin your life and the lives of everyone you touch. Interesting. What makes you think that? Because that's what happens in the film. Is it? Yeah, like Lucy is so like so stuck in the time where she was tortured that she has this huge revenge plot. She brings Anna along with her. She's followed by this horrible, monstrous woman that is just a, a absolute tortured monstrosity to the point where uh, Lucy has to take her own life. And then because she brought Anna along with her, Anna gets sucked into this fucking martyr's situation. Like a cycle of abuse type commentary. Yeah. But how does that tie in with the larger theme of the transcendence beyond pain? The idea that you can be so tortured and so taken beyond physical, emotional, uh, spiritual agony that you somehow do or do not theoretically transcend into another fucking dimension and see beyond death. I mean, I think that that is, that is just narrative, but I think the idea of transcending the pain is, is moving on. Mm. I think I read a quote from Logier where he said something like martyrs were the people that were forced by the level of pain that they were in to do something with that pain that was meaningful. Mm. I mean, that, that absolutely just ties into what I'm saying. The idea that like you have to either do something with your pain, do something constructive, either you learn from it or you, you learn to understand it or you learn to live with it in a way that isn't going to fuck everybody else's life up. Mm. And then you, then you move forward. So you don't buy the, the more nihilistic view that this movie is just about suffering and it's the inevitability of suffering, the, all-consuming power of suffering and the human capacity to inflict untold agony and suffering on other human beings for absolutely no reason. (laughs) I think, I mean, I think that's in there. Yeah. But I think the larger point, what I like to take away is about crossing over, doing constructive things. So like a a conscious move from trauma to healing. Yeah. Mm. Which... I don't know, it might be the most mature thing I've ever said on this fucking podcast, Sam. Could be. Shame I said it. What do we- <laughs> I mean, I said it, the, the other thing. The what do you think's um, 
so obviously we want to talk about the ending at some point because this is a cryptic ending to say the least it's not yeah. the kind of ending that leaves you going ah good the end answered no, all my good. questions she, she, she shot herself and <laughs> yeah. said keep doubting yeah but let's 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 leave the ending for a little minute because i think thematically this film goes to some really interesting places and i think it means something different to everyone who watches it potentially but it seems to be clustered yeah. into like core groups of what people think the film's about those are a couple of the things that people think the film's about so one of my big questions is why is it so graphic in its exploration of those themes why is it so visually difficult to watch in terms of the gore the realism of the gore the visceral nature of the violence and the the sheer physicality of the movie from start to finish what, what kind of a directorial choice is that in your opinion it's the sort of choice that I would make. Mm. Like, it's so hard. One of the things that I I watched, like a behind-the-scenes documentary that was in French, so I didn't know what the fuck they were saying. Couldn't tell if they were acting well or not. <laughs> no. One thing that really struck me is that while they're on set... Sorry. They're... they're um, <laughs> Sorry. Got okay? myself, no, I got myself good there. Sorry. I got it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but while, while they're on set, they're watching these, like, 3D videos that just show people getting hit in the head with hammers. It's so these are like, like almost like 3D animatics based on like what would happen in the physics. And they're using that on set to make sure that the movements are right when she's slamming down with a hammer. Brilliant. And like that is a, an attention to detail, a level of commitment to the fucking harrowing nature of hitting someone on the head with a hammer that like most directors wouldn't care about. Lloyd fucking... Kaufman would get a watermelon with a wig on it and like throw someone in a tutu at it until it explodes. And, like, yeah, I don't think we're that's... making fair comparisons here because we watch a lot of movies <laughs> where nobody gives a shit about the anatomical accuracy of the violence. There's a lot of really good movies where you don't realize how realistic like people being shot in the head is or like, yeah. you know, even just a punch. But I also respect that attention to detail. I guess my main question is why is it why, why would you choose as a director to be so accurate in in your close up vivid depictions of the way blood behaves and the way that you know people's bodies react to different types of physical violence? Because this film is meant to hurt. Yeah. This film is meant to feel like you're being skinned alive by a French lady. Mm. We could argue whether it succeeds or not, but it's meant to be cathartic that the movie is over. Right. The the catharsis of the movie is, I guess, what, like, similar to death. It's over. The pain of life yeah. is over. Hmm. I, I, and I think it supports my theory about it being about getting over pain. Hmm. Because once it's finished, it's finished. You, you can move on. Hmm. I mean, you have to sit and know that you watched Martyrs and think about it for a bit and look out of a window and stuff but like ultimately that pain is now over and you can move on i couldn't eat an actual meal for dinner after watching this film i had to eat just boiled potatoes isn't that what they give her as well on a little metal plate i assume that to be some kind of nutrient dense gruel but yeah it could be spuds <laughs> it could just be watery watery mash it could be so when i was in uh university and i was living with our friend Adam, mm. uh, we invented, because you can get like smash, which is like dehydrated mashed potato, mm. where you add water and also gravy granules, where you add water to make it gravy. We would just mix 
the Smash and the and the Bisto together. Was it Grash or maybe? It was actually called Smash Arena. But Smash for... Arena. Yeah, we had so many gross meals. We used to make a meal, a meal, big fucking air quotes, yeah. where we'd make way more chips than two people should ever eat and then put them in a plate in a circle with big squeezes of mayo, ketchup, barbecue sauce, and hot sauce, and we'd call it the four sauce of the apocalypse. chips. <laughs> On the subject of smash, you've got from Chelsea's care package behind me, uh, ranch flavored potato smash waiting for you. Oh, amazing. Absolutely vile. But I mean, the thing that gets me about smash is you have to be a fucking idiot to buy smash because potatoes are still and always have been so much cheaper. But they had those cool little aliens in the adverts. Oh, I see. Okay, so you bought into the marketing. You couldn't just go with the humble spud. I think it was really cheap to buy off-brand instant mash. Not cheaper than potatoes, I guarantee it. One small potato is a whole pack of smash. And what you're also fucking yourself with when it comes to smash, potatoes are almost nutritionally complete. Smash is not. <laughs> you can live on potatoes. You can't live smash on smash. Smash is not. That's where, that's where the that's where the Bisto comes in. <laughs> right, bringing in those extra nutrients. Probably iron enriched, actually, most Bisto. Um, anyway, back to tomatoes. <laughs> tomatoes, get it? So I think, um, for those of you who speak properly, that's me mispronouncing tomatoes. Tomatoes. Difficult, difficult here because I don't know where I sit in terms of the thematic thrust of this movie. I think a part of this movie is actually about the impossibility of recovery from certain types of trauma. I think there's a huge part of this movie that's commenting on the fact that you can be so broken that there is no return and you are ultimately destroyed by your mm. by your trauma. And I, I think that's that's maybe where this movie gets a bit of unfair criticism because I know a lot of people just look at this movie and, and cast it aside as being nihilistic torture porn. I mean, I do actually kind of understand why people would say that, especially people who maybe don't enjoy the movie and don't have, they don't maybe don't reach an, emo, an emotional level when they're watching it where they're able to enjoy it enough to explore the themes or to dig a little bit deeper. But I, yeah. I do feel led to believe by a lot of the action in this movie that it is a commentary on human cruelty and the fact that the vast majority of people can't stand up to the kind of trauma that we see in this movie and even you know, much, much more minor kinds of trauma and the way that it can completely break you. Because the goal seems to be to break these young women. And again, I think it's a, a very obvious choice that these are women. The goal is to break them beyond perceiving reality, beyond going through hallucination, going through physical pain, going through denial of all your senses and your understanding of the stimuli of the, you know, the way that we perceive reality into another place. And then to document that place, uh, like a fucking blasting an astronaut through a wormhole on fire kind of thing. And I guess where I struggle for resolution thematically is is because we never find out what is beyond, we never get yeah. that closure, and we feel entitled to it because we're watching a film. So in terms of subverting expectations, yeah, I think it's a, it's a pretty shrewd move at the end there to give you absolutely no closure whatsoever. Do you have any thoughts yeah. about? how this movie loosely wraps itself up at the end. I don't necessarily buy into like the cinematic blue balls of it. Mm. Like it's, I think we, it doesn't matter what she says. Why? It doesn't like 
what she whispers doesn't matter. The, the the result of it is the same. I guess we're told it doesn't matter be by it not being in the film. You would think that yeah. if it really mattered, if it was important to the film, it would be in the film. It's important to our needs as viewers in the immediate, but maybe it's not important to the film. So do you have any speculation about that? Like, if any of the theories that she said, oh, hey heaven is real kill yourself now and you'll get there immediately which you won't because you know killing yourself is a sin mm. I'll, get, I'll get sent to hell well if it's christian and, heaven yeah obviously but like i get the feeling this cult is pan religious or atheistic atheist yeah atheistic because they're, they're entertaining notions of god in the afterlife but they're not you know covered in fucking crucifixes and shit like yeah i guess i'd look at them as like white upper class french people and just assume mm christianity but you could be right like they could be any number of different sects i yeah i just assume that they're a cult and that makes me think far away from kind of a monotheistic organization which which just leads me to believe that they're they're beyond and also let's not forget they have to be amoral because of the things that they're doing. And if they're not physically doing them, they're condoning them and they're setting them up and they're facilitating them. And they understand and they know the process. And and those that are committing the, the torture acts have to have to be like deep into amorality. Because I'm not too sure about that, Sam. I think you dig it. I mean, this could be a comment on how fucked up the church is. You think so? Because yeah, the crusades happened. Yeah. Like the Spanish Inquisition happened, the, all of the witch trials happened. These are all the church being incredibly cruel while thinking that they're being incredibly righteous. Right. Doing these incredibly horrible things when they think that they are, you know, going to get to the bottom of some some big question, mm. make the world a better place as a result. Like it's the trolley conundrum. That's what it's called, the trolley question. What's the trolley question? Like, would you kill one person to save three? Like, Would you push one kid down ten flights of stairs or ten kids down one flight of stairs? I would just drop the stairs on all of the kids. Drop the stairs? You're living in a fucking Dali painting. Okay, so why is the religious iconography completely absent in this movie? Why? Because if, if I wanted to make that comment on Christianity, I would make it glaringly yeah. obvious that that's what's happening. That's a fair point, and I think maybe... It's not necessarily a comment about Christianity, maybe a comment about organized religion generally. I suppose, maybe. yeah, they are a group with a common belief or, or common cause. Yeah, I mean, it's also worth saying that Christianity is just is just a cult that's massive. Mm. I think there's a lot to be said in this movie for the clandestine nature of what they do and the 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 smallness of their sect you know there's it's a small group of people but it's obviously incredibly well funded that was interesting to me you know they have a, a squad of people in tactical gear they have this huge underground sterile basement full of pretty sophisticated machinery and tools and yeah they can skin a woman fairly and quickly. keep her alive yeah exactly and keep her alive yeah yeah the skinning I, it's my one, it's like the one place I really struggle to go in movies is like peeling flesh and skinning and stuff like that. So that was a point for me in the movie where I was like, fucking Jesus, fuck me. That's when it went to a place that I found really uncomfortable. The rest of it, yes, visceral, yes, hardcore, 
yes, disturbingly violent, but it it felt like they were trying to get everyone's thing in this movie. <laughs> like they were trying yeah. to tick everyone's boxes. And they were like, what's the last? Oh, yeah, skinning. Let's skin her. Skin her. <laughs> I think the most horrible thing is is just getting punched in the in the face repeatedly or in the in the stomach repeatedly. That's not worse than being skinned and put under a heat lamp, Jamie. Like it's not, but I'm probably never going to get skinned and put under a heat lamp. She but probably I might get thought punched the same the... thing, dude. That morning, she probably thought that exact same thing. Maybe even when she went in the basement, right up until she was on that table, she probably thought, "Well, they're not going to skin me." You never know. You yeah. could end up on a kebab spit tomorrow night. <laughs> you have no idea. Yeah, I the, guess. The 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 punching, <laughs> the systematic physical beating in this movie is so methodical and so dispassionate and so brutal that it it does it takes it to a whole new level. It reminded me a bit of the scenes in Prisoners where Hugh Jackman's just wailing on Paul Dano. It's just like like we're in a, we're in horror film territory, mm. right? So we know we're gonna get we're gonna see slashing and maiming but just like just systematic beating is so much more visceral to me yeah especially when there's no music and it's just in a room and a static camera angle and it's not like type noises it's yeah. it's someone just slapping like... a gammon in the foley room it's is grisly yeah and that's that's incredibly hard to watch i think for again the vast majority of people in an audience full stop uh this movie does have like quite roundly the reputation as being one of the most disturbing movies ever made if not the most disturbing movie ever made how do you feel about that it's probably one of the most disturbing readily available movies Mm. i think there are many more much more horrible and disturbing movies if you if you wanted to find them i think a lot of people say that I'm speaking on behalf of an audience that probably doesn't even fucking exist but a lot a lot of people that i've read you know i'm reading shit online People feel that this movie is is doubly disturbing, more so than movies like a Serbian film, because you're you're taken to a place in this movie where you're forced to align philosophically with a lot of very difficult decisions, and you're you're pushed into a place of uncomfortable morality, and you're made mm. to feel things that are ultimately core to the human experience whereas a movie like fucking the human centipede or whatever doesn't <laughs> doesn't take you there yeah it might be well, gross human centipede is fucking is 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 like the baby version of this right do you know what i mean it's yeah. like the, the questions that you're asking yourself about this about like the the nature of trauma and the how completely fucked all humans are mm. is the grown-up version of where would you rather be in the human centipede right yeah. Which is at yeah, the front, yeah. obviously. <laughs> Depends who's on either end. I'd like to be but... in the other room. There's there's a tricky reconciliation here for me because, you know, it is hard to know what the director is saying. And I love that about films. I don't like being spoon-fed obvious themes. You know, this ain't fucking Jurassic Park or whatever. But I still struggled with it a little bit in terms of feeling that it had a unified cause because it it wasn't... I don't know, man. What do you think about the ending? I like the ending. What does it mean? It doesn't matter what it means. Like I said, it doesn't. It's not important. I think it's the most important thing. In the whole Imagine movie. and the Rock. It doesn't matter what the ending means. <laughs> uh, okay, well let's let's take diametrically opposed views of this movie for a second. I think it's the most important thing about the whole movie what the ending means. But like, why? Because the ending seeks to 
conclude the journey that you've been on and it tells you where to stand on everything that's happened up to this point i disagree i think what are the what are the the theories of what you could have whispered and what happened right so the heaven is real kill yourself now and get there Mm. heaven isn't real what you've been doing is horrible right so there is no afterlife yeah Mm -hmm. but like what else like those are the two main options right Either way, the main option is I'm not telling you. Okay, like either way, Mm. they have committed these acts Mm -hmm. for a cause that they believe in, and they have done it. It's happened. It doesn't matter whether they are vindicated or vilified or kept waiting. Like they've done it. So, like the idea that like there's a resolution to that, like. This is like the the movie's little fuck you, right? It's like people did this to Anna, mm. your people, so fuck you. Yeah, but the thing that doesn't work for me is that the Mademoiselle knows what she said and she doesn't just not tell us. The movie doesn't just not tell us the audience. She doesn't tell her own people. She gives them a, a cryptic line and then kills herself. Well, that's why I don't think it's like heaven is real. Because why? Because if, if, if it was... Because... I don't why think would that she either. Be like, I'm just asking why. Yeah, yeah, no. But like, well, why would she be like, keep doubting to all her mates? To, uh, so the way I read that, because keep doubting is a very, very difficult phrase, isn't it? And it's obviously yeah. deliberately difficult. I read that as she is telling them you are better off not knowing and continuing with your doubt because your doubt fuels your curiosity, your questions, your critical thinking, etc. Then you are knowing the answer, the ultimate question, the, the you know the the million dollar question uh, and then having absolutely no reason to continue living like me, bang. Well there you so that's the answer, right? No, because regardless I, I of what she knows because that's the answer. It's Yeah, but I don't it's not convincing enough the delivery of the line, the nature of the line itself, like it's all too ambiguous for that to be the the cut and dry answer. I think that's the most obvious in my opinion but well i think yeah occam's razor right whatever occam said is the thing that happens or whatever most likely is probably what happened or something yeah it could be the thing that gets me is that she's taking her makeup off yeah so that's a very deliberate choice she could be sitting there still she could be looking in the mirror and applying her makeup before she shoots herself in the mouth she could be doing anything but she's taking off all of her superficial earthly bullshit before she blows her own head off. That to me is supposed to say something, but it hasn't quite settled with me as to what it is yet. I think it's it's undone. again that could that's completely ambiguous because it's like she's either stripping herself of her earthly stuff to go meet her god, mm. or she understands that what she's done is horrible and is now going to face the wrath of her god or doesn't need to look good for her god anymore i'd want a fierce fierce face on if i was going to the fucking pearly gates in in her shoes i'd want some serious eyebrows (laughs) yeah have you have you been to like boots or anything recently there's like makeup for men that's called war paint oh really oh for the gym and stuff there's a guy at my gym who wears uh wears makeup like like sure wear makeup yeah but i mean at the gym like it's an interesting choice isn't it yeah, I just the idea of being like, do you know, what, we're gonna market some makeup to men. And call it. What war will paint. make the men buy it? War paint. <laughs> I mean, that's an old thing, isn't it? Calling women's makeup war paint when they're getting ready to go out for the night. But yeah. taking that and marketing it to men is 
fucking genius. My God, that's incredible. It's so funny. I love you asking me that. You're not even noticing how much fucking makeup I'm wearing right now. It's incredible (laughs) to me. I look great. You look like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator right now. (laughs) Thank you. I have been working out a lot. Thank you for noticing. (laughs) So the ending of Martyrs, I I think is fucking foundational in how we contextualize the rest of the movie. And I find it, I find it, just beyond the right level of infuriating to to say i like it because i understand i do understand the the ambiguity and and leaving it hanging but i just think there's too much that's slightly flabby thematically in this movie that that i need just nipping and tucking at the end there a little bit i i i also have to believe the read that there that there is nothing beyond um and that that's what she tells her that would be in keeping with the film, I think. It's also more sane and logical, uh, which I know shouldn't really factor into this. But if you've been tortured to, to that place, you're not coherent anymore. You're not able to communicate. The idea is that you reach this, you know, this cleansed catharsis right before you die, etc., etc., and you're able to communicate in a celestial way. But I, I see that as a reach for this film that's so rooted in earthly agony to buy that in and of itself it's interesting right you just get like a fucking gory torturous agonizing movie for a a good hour and 20 and then you get something philosophical and nuanced coming in at the end it is an interesting tonal shift we go on a very similar journey to anna like we're pummeled for the length of the film and then get a little ah moment at the end right Mm. right before it cuts off so i think that's very purposeful Mm. And I, like I say, I don't think it matters. I think the idea that you have to keep doubting is is all that really matters. The truth of the, what's behind that, that doesn't matter, I don't think. The idea that knowing is death for people who believe in an afterlife or people who want to believe in an afterlife. Mm. Like knowing is is the end. Then why the fuck try dude it undermines their whole motivation as an organization why seek an understanding of what is beyond life if you ultimately don't want to know and you don't want to tell other people what is that well, because messy. they didn't know that they didn't want to know and yeah I they think... did because they've entertained every possible outcome the way you just did it either exists it doesn't or they won't tell us and at some point we're going to get a martyr who's going to give us one of those three things and I'm going to blow my fucking head off and not tell anyone. That's not, I think it's premeditated. I don't think that's... I think Mademoiselle has her own epiphany in that moment. Right. You think I it's think a moral epiphany? Because moment... I don't think she's realising she's done bad things. I think they're way beyond No, that. no. I think she realises that like knowing is is wrong at that point. That for you her. shouldn't know. Yeah. Holy crap. Okay. But that does make it very important for the movie that she has that realization because it, it, the motivation for all this torture and therefore the premise of the entire movie and the action of the entire movie is 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 finding that out and then to find out at the end, that's ultimately not pointless. I guess so dangerous it it cannot be known. Yeah, I just like it when they do the the blood. <laughs> Blood things happen. I heard a lot of people online saying that they thought this was the the kind of movie you could never in a million years have a sequel to. And that's where I was like, bullshit. This has got sequel written all over it. Fucking Etienne just carries on. That's the sequel. You get the same movie again with a whole new bunch of gore. Have you 
entertained remotely the American remake. No, I don't even want to ever watch this one again, let alone another take, take on it, to be honest. It's just not not for me spoiler alert it's just a piss weak version of it i thought it might be sanitized like it looks i just saw some stills and it just looks cheese dick i just don't think it works in an american accent as well right like the pain and like the horrible agony that you feel in this film like it sort of sucks all the air out of it when it's like an, an american like valley girl being like no no ah don't hurt me do you know what i mean it like yeah it's just bad just that just sounds bad I think yeah. the, the pain in this movie is part of what makes it so uncomfortable because it feels so real. It looks really real. It, it's exactly how I imagine all those things looking. Thankfully, yeah. I've seen a very small percentage of what happens to this film in real life. And, uh, oh boy, peeling someone's scalp off in a bathtub while they go mental from sensory deprivation, not something I ever want to see in real life. The stuff with the... The big fucking flat screwdriver mm. pulling out those really long staples. Ugh. Weirdly, the- quite, I found that quite satisfying. I think there's a weird ASMR element of my personality that quite enjoys imagining. Because <laughs> I get migraines, and whenever I get migraines, I imagine like, oh, God, if I could just pull these fucking thorns out of my head. And I imagine that felt pretty good. It's worth saying that, like, that character, the creature, as, mm. it's, as she's called in the in the credits yeah is incredible one of the scariest characters i've ever seen in a film i think about it all the time yeah it makes me think of the guy in uh seven. Oh, the guy that isn't dead yeah sloth lazy one lazy yeah man. lazy boy lazy bones <laughs> 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 yeah it makes me think of that guy i uh, yeah a just harrowing fucking performance um yeah She's a, con- a contortionist for Cirque du Soleil. Interesting. Big career. Yeah. That's fucking great. The the physicality of it is so incredible. Yeah, like, it would have to be a contortionist. It's bananas. Do you think, um, standard operating procedure here, do you think the demon torturing, is it Anna? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think the demon torturing Anna is just a self-destructive manifestation of trauma? Or do you think... That's an actual ghost. Oh, fuck off, Sam. It's obviously a manifestation of a trauma. <laughs> no, but I read some shit online that was like... Of course you did, because it's a people... a real goblin. <laughs> people who go on the internet are the worst people. I read a theory. Unless they're listening to this, Sam, in which case, they're, they're all right. I read a theory that the guys who show up in all the tactical gear are like Ghostbusters, and this organization <laughs> exists to... Uh, so basically, enormous trauma creates demons, or um, reaching the place of martyrdom opens a portal to another world that lets demons in. And these guys, uh, you know, Keep roll, up, roll up and destroy, <laughs> roll up and destroy the demons. Basically, <laughs> that's oh, a real theory that. out there that people think and believe. That is the worst theory I've ever heard. It's a demon hunter movie. <laughs> it's Hellboy. I don't know is... what happens in Hellboy, for the record. Sorry, Hellboy fan. I'm a Hellboy fan. I know. Sorry, Jamie. So that's clearly yeah, not that's, happening. That's the most horseshit thing ever. The, the, clearly, the the creature is is the woman that she couldn't save. She's yeah. followed her her whole life, knowing the horrible violence that, that Lucy went through. Yeah. And like that she left her there to encounter that and to take that until she ultimately died. It's her survivor's guilt killing her. Yeah. Mm. 
it's horrible. We've talked about this before, not on the podcast. Do you know how scary Zelda is in uh, Pet Cemetery? No, because I don't find her even remotely scary. We talked about well, this you're before. Fucking, yeah. You're fucking... Full of shit. She's one of the scariest characters. She makes me laugh ever. so much. She's so cack. So bad. Oh no. no. Skinny woman in a bed. <laughs> Fuck off. Anyway, go on. To most it's, it's people, scary. I'm sure it's scary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's knowing. She's got the knowledge. Fucking, she's got meningitis. She's not knowing. She's just she, a, a woman with meningitis. Gage and I are waiting for you or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's scary. It's scary in the book. It's fucking shit scary in the book. This, I think this is the best cinematic depiction of Zelda. Yeah, if they've Zelda, if this was fucking how they showed Zelda in that movie, it's next level scary. But it's scary in this because it's a real, like, physical human that's been created by brutality. You know, someone who's been so warped and twisted and, and destroyed and that is still forced to fucking exist. That's the pain in this movie is that these people are forced to continue living despite horrific mutilation. That's the fucking killer for me. Like it is a really useful movie in, in the sense of kind of processing your own understanding of what survival is. It's a real yeah. fucking high watermark in terms of measuring your own resilience against fictional characters. It's fucking painful from start to finish. It's not repeat not fun no i mean it's not fun that there's a little island of fun in that that family scene yeah but it's too early in the movie for you to understand what's happening to you (laughs) yeah well like obviously we've already seen some horrible abuse a small child in tatty clothes running down the street screaming oh yeah it's child abuse from the very first scene yeah you, you have to watch child abuse straight away we're straight in it with that so that little island you feel like it's a respite from what you've already seen, but mm. really, it's it's to put you on the wrong foot. Yeah, for for everything that's coming later. Yeah, it's the beginning of the end. Yeah, it's this movie is so well paced. I think some of maybe the torture stuff towards the end is a little bit too long for me, and not in a way where it's like that's too much. Just in a way that it's like, okay, can we can we sort of trundle this down towards some sort of conclusion? Mm. It does sort of slow right down, and it, and that's a choice, but it's a, it's not necessarily a choice that I like. Yeah, like I think the start of the movie is so frenetic that when we're in the sort of Anna's being tortured stuff, it mm. does it does feel like a real gear shift shift down into like slow, 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 slow. Yeah, it's interesting how how different audience members would perceive that i think because i found it to be pretty perfect i mean i Mm. so my thing about the pacing in this movie is that it's from where i'm sitting absolutely immaculate like it doesn't even when it's doing clever stuff and dropping huge bombshells and taking massive pivots it never spends too long it never spends so long that you feel like you're getting fucking hollywood treatment where you have everything explained to you in six different ways so there's no way you missed it you know it just respects your ability to understand that things are happening quickly and it just bang 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 blows through and then you get this what again like i think it's like the second resting point in the movie is the torture and that's what's so horribly uncomfortable and so well done is that the pace slows down but the graphic nature of the torture increases and the level to which you're pushed and pushed and pushed to what you can take 
just increases, increases, increases the whole time. And it's that yeah. good old-fashioned r- slow simmer to a rolling boil, and then you, you get your climax. So the, if you were to draw this movie's pace on a graph, it would be fucking just a masterclass in intention. Like, it's fucking agony. No, I think you're completely right, actually. Like, the when, it's, when it sort of slows down... It slows down violently. It's, like a, it's, it's a hardcore. It's a beatdown in a hardcore song, right? It's, it's yeah. It's the best bit. <laughs> the bit that I like the most is Lucy killing the family, right? Because that feels like, like an entertainment. Mm, that's surprising. Like it me. feels like a violent film, whereas all the other mm. stuff, the stuff that around that sits around that, the book ends it, is like horrible, realistic violence, and like the the violence when she's killing the family. It's also realistic, but mm. it's it feels like you know she opens the door and immediately immediately gets shot in the chest. The mum, like that, feels really cinematic to me. In a way that, like, yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know how where where I'm going with that, but like, it feels like a different movie. It feels like a distant fucking memory when you get to the end. You're like, did that even happen? Like, was she outside at a payphone at some point? Yeah. What is happening right now? It, it's it's like you remember, you know, it's, it's a real like BCAD moment, that, that whole family scene. It's very cleverly placed. And it is unconventional, I think. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the the narrative structure of this movie feels very unconventional. Would you yeah, say definitely. I think that's one of those things that like coming out of France, a mm. country with some cinematic history, but not like a lot of cinematic baggage or the the cinematic baggage that it carries is like sort of frilly and frou-frou and like farcical and stuff like that. Whereas like... Sexy. Yeah, sexy as well. I feel like the only French film that I remember seeing that sort of stuck in my mind was called The Tit and the Moon, which was about a guy, a small child, being fed milk from a balcony. Oh, I love it. Is that even French? Sounds that amazing. French? Let me just look it up real quick. Le tit et le moon. <laughs> I don't know tit or moon in French. My apologies, French listeners. You're having a horrible time with us saving <laughs> all the final resolution It's podcast. Spanish and French. In the same way that this is French and yeah. Canadian. <laughs> so the plot from, from Wikipedia is, this film is about a nine-year-old boy's obsession, obsession with women's breasts. Teddy becomes jealous of his baby brother who is breastfed by their mother. Teddy goes on a personal mission to find the perfect pair of lactating breasts to feed on. Estrella, the beautiful French dancer, arrives in town to answer Teta's prayers. Unfortunately for Teta, Estrellita is the attention of many adult men's affections, including her husband. Uh, blah, 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 blah. With this, with this amount of competition, will Teta ever fulfil his wish to be fed breast milk? The answer, spoiler alert, is yes two things one sounds like the greatest movie ever made two you were drooling when you read that synopsis <laughs> you're getting thirsty over there boy. i don't know what wh- where i saw this film but i was definitely too young to be watching i was older <laughs> than teta but i was too young to be like watching a, a nuanced fucking spanish french art house biggest lunar film about lactating breasts booby milk well i gotta watch it that's your homework everyone final transmission get out there and watch le tit et la moon or whatever it was Uh, it's called called the tit and the moon la tete y la luna that's the spanish title Mm. i'm guessing knock yourselves out
So there's a theory out there, and, and I will I will be completely frank, a huge exponent of this theory is Mike Myers, that Canada produces bleak art almost instinctively as a nation. It's it's kind of baked into its into its DNA to produce cinema bleak. What do you think of that? You think that's true? No, because I've seen all of the Bob and Doug stuff. What's Bob and Doug? Bob and Doug was Rick Moranis and... Oh, I've seen Bob and Doug. Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, you know, in terms of like, obviously Canadian comedy is some of the finest comedy on earth. Some of the some of the people that you love that you think are American are definitely Canadian. I'll say that much. Uh, not you, the royal you. The king. There's an approach to cinema in Canada that is uniquely bleak i think when you layer on distinctly french overtones and the horror genre you get you get something like martyrs right this doesn't doesn't pull a single punch it just carves to the core and it's very unapologetic in its viciousness any flaws anything you don't like about this movie i know you love it i don't think so i think I mean, I can't argue with anything that's happens here, that, like, any of the choices that are made. I think, by all accounts, Pascal Logier is a piece of shit. Oh, really? I think he's a bad director that doesn't really care about the well-being of the people that he's in, that are in his movies. And, like, right. a bunch of people that worked with him on Martyrs and on other stuff have said that they would never, ever work with him again. Interesting. I think the the woman that plays Anna or maybe Lucy ended up with a bunch of fucking stitches from, like, a scene in this. Someone in the tall man, like, broke their hand. Um, he doesn't, like, storyboard anything. It just keeps it all in his head. And then it's, like, a French guy that directs, like, art house movies. So right. it's really cryptic when he's trying to tell people what to do. Probably while smoking yeah. a cigarette and wearing a beret. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, what camp are you in in terms of justifying that kind of treatment of performance? Because a lot of people feel that you can't make a movie like Martyrs without, you, you know, you can't show up on set, you know, laughing and joking. You can't be fucking. Who's a laughy, jokey director while we're at it? Who's a fun. Oh, you can't be like fucking Ivan Reitman or whatever. Like, you can't... Eli Roth is laughing and joking when he's making Hostel. And, like, obviously Hostel doesn't hit as hard as this. But, like, in terms of, like, visceral violence, they're not a million miles away from each other, which is one of the other sort of clever things about this movie is that we're we're commenting on violent cinema while, mm. ma- while being some of the most violent cinema you can be. I think you can laugh your ass off and make a violent movie. I think, you know, you, you can be drenched in blood and absolutely pissing yourself laughing. But I think that the subject matter of this movie demands you know, a, a seriousness, but does it justify treating people, performers poorly in order to achieve results? Like his his justification is clearly like they have to feel a little bit of pain to get there. I don't know if I, if I buy into that. There's that famous story about Olivier. Is it Olivier and Dustin Hoffman? And they're filming a scene where Dustin Hoffman's meant to have just like run a, a, a bunch and is out of breath. And he like runs around for ages and Olivier's like, darling, it's called acting. Right. Like I, I, I sort of buy into that more. Like a good actor, you don't need method bullshit. You don't need to be ostracized by a director. You don't need to be told that your mum's dead in the next room or like any of the shit that these 
sort of auteur directors were doing in the 60s and 70s and presumably yeah. in the making of this. Like, I don't think that's necessary. I think it works. And I think you get stuff off the back of it, but I don't think it's necessary. It's interesting. I'm, I, it's weird that we should talk about this now. I'm absolutely fascinated by, and always have been fascinated by, what motivates people and what gets you know results out of people, etc. And just because of where I am in my life and the things I'm doing with my life, mm. I'm reading a lot of books about it. And what I've found myself drawn to is reading about and just researching generally, like watching stuff as well, but looking at approaches that are totally counterintuitive to me and my nature and what I think is right. So I'm by nature nurturing and encouraging and I believe in, you know, positive reinforcement and those kind of things. And I've been reading a lot about sports coaches mm. who do not believe in that <laughs> and who will manipulate, play head games and abuse athletes into success and there is an alarmingly high rate of success among abused athletes <laughs> there is an absolutely astonishing uh level of like you know victory stats absolutely groundbreaking performances resulting in some of the most heinous abuses <laughs> that a person in in a position of trust could possibly inflict on another human being Gosh. so from with a martyr's perspective i find that really interesting because they're abusing people to a point of transcendental bliss you know that they're because she's euphoric right at the end yeah. they're saying that she's reached a euphoric state um, but the idea that that's happening behind the scenes as well surely that undercuts the gravitas of what we're trying to say about how horrible this stuff is like if the mademoiselle and the cult and everyone are in the wrong presumably we're meant to think that they're in the wrong and they're abusing people to try and get something out of them at the end. The idea that you, the director, are doing the exact same thing in the making of that movie, surely that mm. massively undercuts any real message that you're trying to get across. Well, maybe it reinforces it. That's maybe in mm. his mind a justification for it. Because one of the most interesting reads from the movie that I entertain when I'm watching it is the idea that, because I love the old, like, are we the baddies? You know, that mm. moment. And I think that there is a very justifiable viewpoint to say that they're the goodies, that the cult are the goodies, because they're trying to further the boundaries of human experience, our understanding of what pain actually is in the universe and where it takes us ultimately in their theory and in their mind is that it takes us to our purest being. It removes our soul, essentially. So... All of the torture is 100% justified and necessary because it takes us to a place that is further than has ever been recorded in human experience. So I can buy that perspective. That's why they're amoral. That's why they remove themselves from the torture process. That's why they don't feel any sympathy or empathy for anyone that they're torturing is because they know their cause is ultimately greater than their crimes. So I kind of buy that perspective i like that as a narrative tool obviously i think it's complete horseshit but i like I buy it. that they believe that until they yeah. don't at the end but do they that's why i think it's so fucking important that we find out what happens at the end because whether or not their their research if we're going to call it that bears uh results is is foundational to the action of the movie i i disagree i just don't think it's particularly important what i do mm. think is the idea that Martha characterize them all, though the reason that she kills herself characterizes their entire cause. It helps us, enables us to understand why they're doing what they're doing. Maybe 
she kills herself because like we've said, not knowing is, is important and she can never not know. Mm. So the only way to be sure that she doesn't tell them that they don't torture it out of her is to kill herself, to reinforce yeah. the keep doubting. Because, you know, like I say, that's the important thing. That's the message. It's still just a very important aspect of it that she kills herself without telling anyone. Like, I think she has to be vague. Because if she's like, you don't want to know what the answer is, boom. Like, that's, it's, the doubt is important. The the, the element that it's unknowable and can't be known in order to maintain your faith. Because... Again, if we're talking about Christianity, which I think we are, I think Pascal Lockyer is a Catholic, was brought up Catholic, right. with all the guilt that comes from that. I don't know an awful lot about being Catholic, but I have seen films. And I understand that Catholic guilt is a thing that is very intense. Mm-hmm. So the idea of not having faith anymore is is ultimately blasphemous, right? The idea of knowing is ultimately blasphemy. Because you, you can no so, longer have faith. It's an interesting question as to what happens, what does faith become if the foundation of it is confirmed? Yeah. Because faith is believing in the unknowable, right? It's it's building your entire belief system around something that cannot be factually verified. So <laughs> what happens when you find out the answer or the the truth about faith? That's a very interesting question. I mean, it's not one that we can answer. No. And I think... The more I think about it, the more keep doubting becomes two of the most ambiguous words in the history of cinema. Well, like, <laughs> like, I, f- I feel like they're, they're, keep, doubt? they're keep doubting because it doesn't that's... make sense in the conversation either. But you know, he's asking, she's asking him if he can imagine what happens when you die, and he says no, and she says keep doubting. It's not. It's almost a non sequitur. It, it doesn't. It doesn't align with the conversation or the action that comes after it. So I think there's more to I it. Think I think doubting is important. doubting is biblical, isn't it? There's the whole doubting Thomas. The whole thing of doubting Thomas, yeah. I think that's why it's the phrase. So she's using that specific yeah. biblical reference in the moment of suicide. Pourquoi, madame? Speaking of like Bible stuff proving the existence of God. Have you are you familiar with um with a property called Left Behind? Uh, no. So Left Behind, there was a there was a remake of the movie with Nicolas Cage in it. And that movie was based on a book um, that was written by Tim LaHaye and some other guy who are like real big Bible folks. And the story is about like basically what happens to the world after the rapture. Right. But that's based on like a a, a video that they did. It's like an instructional video for people that have been left behind after the rapture. And I'm a huge fan of it. I think it's probably on YouTube. I love that theme generally. Yeah. And it's, it's like them talking to you as if they're gone now. So they can't tell you anything in real life because they've been raptured. But like, cool. this is what's going to happen to you now that you've been left behind. And it's, mm. it's, it's so apocalyptic. I fucking love shit like that. But like the idea that like, the rapture happens and like everyone that didn't believe is like, Oh shit, I guess they were right. But now we're stuck here. Is that kind of a similar thing? Is she self rapturing? Is she self rapture? That's sick. (laughs) I think you're onto something incredibly powerful when you bring in the biblical aspect of doubt, because you know, if the whole idea of doubting Thomas, let's put Etienne, 
as the as the doubting Thomas. Mm. So he cannot have faith without seeing. So if if Thomas needs to see Christ's wounds to believe that he was crucified and resurrected, Etienne needs to see what he needs to what transcend himself to believe it, or he needs to hear the words at least as evidence before he knows the answer. If that's the case, then that means the answer has to be that she hears that there is a heaven and then kills herself. She says it almost sardonically. That's what gets me, though. She's kind of, she's a little bit sassy at the end there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're never going to know what what was whispered to her. Here's an interesting question, though. Do you think Pascal knows? Because I don't think David Lynch has a clue what's going on in any of his movies. But do you think Pascal knows specifically? Do you reckon there's a script somewhere where he's written what she says and he totally knows exactly what he's doing at the end there? No. I don't think he does. Mm. I think he, maybe he did and maybe he's changed his mind. Like, I think mm. Tarantino doesn't know what was in the suitcase in Pulp Fiction, like they're MacGuffins. It's interesting that your reaction as an audience is to think that the unknowable is irrelevant in a movie, the central premise of which is that the unknowable is the most important thing to know. <laughs> That's a clever little movie, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's so clever. It's so good. It's so hard to watch. Yeah. How much would you hate me if I said that I think the gore undermines the the power of the movie a little bit? Would you hate me for saying that? I mean, I, I would make a little jack-off symbol with my hand. like <laughs> He's doing it with both hands, by the way, with his mouth open and his tongue out. <laughs> I don't think it works without the visceral violence. Like, what would it be without the gore? Would it just be the punching, the slapping? Like, No, I, I'm, I think I'm being a bit of a devil's advocate when I say this, but I think maybe a better director would just not need to rely on it so much. <laughs> but I think it's there for a reason. It's there to keep the normies away. Do you think? Yeah, it's there. Because normies love gore, though, dude. No, no, like, they don't. Like, oh. Not like this. Well, no, not like this, yeah, I suppose. And like, There's people out there who'll be slapping their knees and cackling at this movie, though. You know, people are demented. Those people aren't here for the deep philosophical questions that we're meant to be asking ourselves after watching it. There's people out there, Jamie, who've watched this film ten times. <laughs> <laughs> My first time seeing this was at Fright Fest in 2008, and I cannot right. emphasise how horrible this film is with 300 oh, other you know. people all going through the same thing as you. Do you know what I mean? I bet you were sweating bullets. It was so, so hard. Fuck, you know, it's hard enough on your Literally. own. Literally. With the shared trauma vibrating around the room of 300 other people. With the fucking Odeon West End, like, <laughs> amazing oh, sound system in there, massive screen. It was savage. It was one of the most difficult cinematic experiences of my life, and I'm... Through the looking glass. And that's why I think... I feel bad for you having that happen to you, by the way. Like, that's how bad this would... If, you, if you're at this point in the podcast, you still haven't seen the movie. I'm in pain thinking about Jamie being forced to watch this on a big screen. It's the reason now why I think I love it so much more than maybe some other people. Because take the visceral experience that you, that you, that you have when you watch this and combine it mm. by the energy of a cinema full, a sold-out cinema in London, where all the worst mm. people are. Like, 
Yeah, it's 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 just really special. That fright fest was it's my brutal. absolute favorite fright fest. I think. Yeah. Like the peak, Do you know, like when something tips over and it becomes so big that they start showing too many movies and you can't watch everything and the price goes up loads and like mm -hmm. they introduce a second screen so there are like two screens happening at once it was the year before all of that happened it was perfect speaking of which coming up next month manchester punk festival everyone buy your tickets now <laughs> i'll tell you what's an interesting comment on trauma and particularly the way that i process trauma is that i had seen this movie before and remembered nothing I'm not kidding, dude. I forgot this entire movie. I tactically repressed the entire experience of Claire had to tell me exactly how and when we watched it so I would believe that I'd seen it before. I remembered nothing when I watched this the second time. It also shows the difference of our yep. experience that you were like, I remember nothing. And I was like, oh, goody. You get to experience it for the first time again. <laughs> and it wasn't one of those things where I watched it the second time. Because I remember, right, I watched Starship Troopers battered drunk. Mm. Absolutely out of my mind drunk. And I woke up a few, and after a few days, I was like, oh, I think I watched this the other night, but I have no memory of it. And I watched it again, I was like, oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. And I remembered bits and pieced it together. This was not like that. This was a brand new cinema experience for me. I watched the movie with no idea what was happening next. Not even an inkling about a twist. When they're all having breakfast, I was like, holy fuck, she's coming with a shotgun. Like, I had no idea whatsoever. <laughs> so this is a punishing movie that probably affects your brain profoundly on a chemical level. So I would almost tell people to be careful with this film. It's rough as fuck. Jesus Owie, is this a difficult film to watch and enjoy? Absolutely. Jamie. <laughs> well, on that note, Sam, why don't we take a break, come back and sum the fuck up? Yeah, because all I'm doing here is putting off going to bed. Because it just gets worse from here. Will you give it up, man? Nobody's out there. We're alone. Oh, no, there's somebody out there. I'm picking up all this crosstalk. Summing up, Jamie, your dissertation, please. Let's go. I start off so many of my sum-ups with, surprise, surprise, I fucking like this movie. But I really like this movie. If it wasn't so horrible, it would be in my top ten. It's not in your top ten? No. Because The Devils is in your top ten, correct? Yeah. At one point you said it might be your favourite movie of all time. Yeah, so I, I oscillate between The Devils, Repo Man, and Rumblefish. Like, those are, like, my... Okay. My liquid top three. My liquid three. So it's interesting that this isn't even in the top ten because I thought that this would be, you know, this would qualify maybe as a masterpiece for you. I mean, I, I think it is a masterpiece. I think it's a almost perfect movie mm. in terms of structure, design, commitment to the to what it's trying to do. I don't think it's fun, and that's why it's it's difficult for me to. I, I can enjoy the devils even when it's horrible. Like we discussed that. that we discussed that at length, like that the idea that it's having such a silly goose fun time with such a serious subject in order to fuck with your head and make you question your allegiances. And this film is doing the same thing, but without any of the fun. Right. The idea that I could say that this is a fun film and watch it regularly. Like like I say, I've, I've watched it 10 times, but that's since I literally saw it in the it's UK premiere in 2008. So like... The yeah. earliest possible chance that you could see this movie, plus 15 years in between, that's less than once a year. Mm -hmm. I've watched it twice 
like the last time I watched it after, before this time was New Year's last year, not this year, but the year before. Yeah. It's a, it's one that needs to be spread out, but sometimes you just have to go back to this well of pain because it's important. Sometimes you're feeling too good about yourself, Sam, and you need good. fucking burly French guy to slap you back into your place. You need a bucket of blood. Yeah. Sometimes you could be happily laughing with your partner and then you open the front door and get shot in the chest. <laughs> and this movie, what serves as a reminder to you that that could happen? Like, I think it just, it's important that you need to remember that suffering that like what happens in the film exists, but also suffering like how you feel when you watch this also exists. And like, I think the reason that I keep going back to it is because so many films try really hard, but don't land. So the idea that I can go somewhere and I can watch a film that absolutely is always going to land, it's just kind of beautiful in the most horrible way. So you don't think it's going to age poorly? Because like when I rewatch something like Idle Hands, which I used to think would always land... <laughs> It doesn't anymore. You think this is a, a staple? I, I think it's fucking blasphemy that you would mention martyrs in the same sentence as fucking the Devon Sawyer satanic hand vehicle idle hands, which I love, which I love, <laughs> I'm not, but come on I'm not now. comparing them. I'm using idle hands as a low bar for aging well, and I'm asking if this movie has qualities that, elevate it beyond uh the passage of time i think so i think there is nothing in this film really that it sets it in a certain time i think sometimes it looks like a late 2000s horror movie mm. and that's the only thing that i think puts it in a time and a place the nature of suffering is timeless i think the questions that it's asking you to think about are timeless the only thing that will age this film is the director being outed as a, a massive rotter. Mm, seems likely based on everything you're saying. Yeah. But until that day, I'm going to keep watching it. <laughs> and probably beyond. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I find it a horrible necessity that a movie like this exists. I think it's a really fascinating way to tackle sub the, all the subjects that it, that it tackles. And I think it does so in a way that's wholly stylized and really, really well executed. It's just... A shame for me that at times it is so difficult to watch. And that's 100% uh, subjective. Because I know for some people this is probably easy to watch or less unpleasant to watch. I don't think in any way it warrants the kind of criticism of being gratuitous necessarily. But there are aspects of the film that I think with a lighter touch might actually be more impactful. That being said, I think it's fucking good <laughs> it's... yeah i don't think i don't think it's gratuitous ever i think every time mm. that we get gore or violence it's coming with a question it's coming with with something that you're meant to ask yourself why am i seeing this what's the point of this why is this happening this way you can you can comfortably answer all of those questions while you're watching the movie your answers might mm. be massively different to mine but i think mm -hmm. The fact that you can ask and answer those questions means that it's not gratuitous. It's not like fucking slaughtered vomit dolls or mortem or any of those other like August Underground massive gore fests or like those sort of James Cullen Bressock like torture porn 
shot on video things, which, you know, they have their place and I like them and I enjoy them. But like, that's gratuitous. The The only thing that, the only question and answer that we're getting in that situation is, do you want to watch some gory shit? Here it is. Mm. Like, I guess yeah. like human cruelty, which, you know, is kind of a read here, but like, I don't need to watch a woman being raped for 90 minutes to know that people are cruel. Do you know what I mean? Whereas this, yeah. this nuance, there's something in here that's like pulling out these threads and digging into it a little bit more. And I think like the the reason that the, the 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 visceral violence in this film lands so much is because it isn't constant. I mean, it, it feels constant, but it isn't constant. It feels like a constantly violent movie, even when there's not physical violence happening. Yeah. And that is an achievement, in my opinion. Yeah. It's not, like you said, of course it's not fun. It's not meant to be. Nobody would ever say this movie tried to be fun and wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it does its job really well. I think the, the two interesting observations I have on that point is that you don't see her being skinned. And in a lot of movies, you do see that. And then you see, or you just see like skin being flung into a corner and splattering on the floor. It'd be really easy to just see the guy throwing her tits into the corner. Do you know what I mean? That would be gratuitous. But we don't see that. That's a choice. And then she's wheeled out and kind of crucified. Yeah, so, I think the I think the skin stuff is, is maybe a Jaws moment anyway. Like there's no way to show that and have it look real. So like why mm, why why bother? Yeah, there's a lot of skinnings in movies that I find a bit fucking real, but I'm I'm hypersensitive to it, so I'm not a good guy. I just feel like the 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 scene that you're describing where they where they throw the pile of skin. Like mm. I can think of at least one movie where you see that skin and it's like, you know, when you peel an orange in one go, it's like mm. all of the skin in like one big skin suit. And they sort of throw it yeah. into the corner and it just looks like a big pile of rubber. And that's that might right. be because it's what that, what it would really look like. Mm. But like we've talked about this before about like how the how realism sometimes is trumped by like m yeah. movie stuff because we, we, we're so used to having seen movies that the realism doesn't matter anymore, really hyper-realism like when we see bums explode in street trash yeah. <laughs> it's so sick you said bums <laughs> and i was thinking about bottoms <laughs> you know my bum's about to explode in summary i think if i was being critical to, the, to almost to the point of cruelty i would say that if this movie can be said to have a very strong vision and a strong message then the ending is a failure but I totally understand why people would say almost the complete opposite of that. Which is what I've done for the last hour and a half. Exactly. <laughs> so it's it's my opinion that this is one of the hardest films to watch that I've ever seen. But the payoff is conversations like this, which is massive for a horror movie. Yeah. You don't often get horror movies that cause this kind of philosophical conversation and that help you learn things about human nature, history. The difference the, between the words the summary and summation. Summation and summary, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a difficult difficult movie to enjoy but it's ultimately very rewarding and it is well made i agree and like i say i think it's probably the most challenging mainstream available movie like i say that there are plenty of plenty more like super fucked up horrible violent real feeling movies that that don't feel like films that you can get your hands on if you're looking for them. Whereas this, yeah. it's on DVD, you get it from fucking Canal Plu or whatever they're called. This is accessible. It was on Prime 
for a period. I think that's why yeah. we ended up watching it last New Year's because I was scrolling Prime and I was like, Martyrs, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> perfect New Year's <laughs> Eve. Make ourselves some espresso martinis and watch Martyrs for New and Year's. slap on Martyrs. You know, one thing it does that's that's also interesting, again, a summary point, it at no point uses beauty to convey beauty. Mm. It <laughs> There's not a moment in this movie where a, an ideal of beauty or a beautiful image is used to remind you that there's also beauty in the world as well as pain, which is always the counterpoint to movies about human suffering, right? It's that there is, at some point, a moment where the clouds part and the sun is once again revealed to you. There is hope. This is a, a thoroughly, thoroughly hopeless movie. The women that play uh, Lucy and Anna are both incredibly beautiful, but they're not shot. Sure. They're not shot like beautiful women. Nope. They're not shot like no French women in a French movie being all sexy and smoking and things. like. Yeah, it's not Jack's French girls. It's, if anything, you know, they are treated in a lot of ways uh like absolutely meaningless yeah. pieces of meat. And it's, again, fucking hard. So that's Martyrs. It's not a Sunday morning movie. I think it's a Wednesday night movie. I mean, it kind of had to be. For me, it was a Thursday lunchtime movie. <laughs> but I think I think you want to be at your best when you're watching it. And like you don't... You're at your best on a Wednesday night. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah, like I've, I've, I've worked hard at my day job. Mm. I've... Okay. I'm firing on I'm firing on all cylinders by Wednesday night, I think. Jesus, I'm at my fucking lowest ebb by Wednesday night. Oh boy. I, okay, sure. I mean, yeah. So holy crap, martyrs. My score Get. is Go on, yeah. eighteen out of twenty punches to the sternum from a big hulking Oof, Frenchman. Cracky. Three point five staples to the skull out of five. That's a seven out of ten. That's that's in line with the uh the IMDb review. Super hard to rate this movie highly, knowing that I will never voluntarily watch it again. Um, but you can say that about a lot of things. I'll probably never voluntarily drink Malort again, and I wouldn't rate it that highly. Yeah. So it's the Malort of movies, and it's also... When we do our spin-off podcast, Oops All Martyrs, you'll have to watch it again and again <laughs> and again. <laughs> I reckon we could do it 10 times, realistically. <laughs> I think I could... Again, it's it's real discussion fuel, as evidenced by this one hour, 45 minute recording session. It, there's a lot to break down, a lot to talk about. There's shit that I will have missed absolutely yeah. on one slash two watches. And there's a lot... Uh, you made me laugh so hard I fired. There's, there's a lot to dissect. And I think I would love to hear the opinions... Of somebody who's deeply religious, I'd love to hear the opinions of somebody who hates violence in movies. I'd like to hear from a whole range of people about this movie. Yeah, because because it's so provocative. Yeah. So if you want to give us your opinions, there's a m multiple ways you can do that. You can do that via DMs on any of the social media platforms we mentioned earlier: Instagram, TikTok, uh, Twitter, mm -hmm. um, and it's FT Horror Show. All those. You can email us at finaltransmissionpod at gmail .com. You can WhatsApp us if you're our friend and you know our numbers already. Yep. Well, you could ask a question in the, in the I think on Spotify, you can like put little notes in and stuff. Yeah, you can write shit down. So tell us what you thought of Martyrs. Tell us Go on. how funny you think it is. Tell us what you think about what we think. How about that? Yeah. 
and then we'll tell you what we think about what you think about what we think. Oops. <sighs> Oops, all martyrs. <laughs> Oops, all martyrs is the fucking worst idea for a podcast. I wonder, like, if we I could talk it. about martyrs 25 times and still find things to talk about. I bet we could. Probably, yeah, if we did it, like, shot by shot style, yeah. Thank fuck we're not doing that. And on that positive note, should we fuck this pig? No, let's keep going because it's endless. Oh, God. Please let me live. Or let me not. Just something. <laughs> Anything but this. <laughs> <laughs>